Could be. I don't know. But you came. You came. You're here despite the rain, despite the traffic and the loose roads. Amen. And God's going to honor that. He's going to speak to us tonight. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for this time to come and hear your word, to give attention to your word. Father, we thank you that we give priority to your word tonight. There's nothing else more important. There's nothing else that matters more to us than hearing what you have to say to us tonight, Father. I thank you that these words are not the words of man, but they're your words, the words of God. You know exactly what we need to hear, Father. I thank you that every person in this place will walk away saying, he spoke to me. He spoke exactly what I needed to hear, Father. You know exactly what we need to hear. It could be the same message, and it can, be, uh, it can speak something different to every single person in here. That's because your word is alive, and it's active, Father. So we give attention to your word. We, we, we put aside all distraction, all thoughts, all, uh, all the things that are going on this week, everything that happened today, everything that's coming up, Father. We put it all aside. We give attention to your word, we give time to your word, and we thank you that we're going to be refreshed, renewed. We're going to rediscover something tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and uh, verse 1. I love Wednesday nights. I love just getting in the word, teaching, studying it out, breaking it down. And, um, you know, I don't know what I'd do without Wednesday night. You know, I, I was telling someone that, you know, this church would kind of go against the grain a little bit because a lot of churches are trying to draw back and trying to do a little less, and we're trying to do more. I'm trying, what, what can we do? And I'm not just trying to stay busy and be busy, but, you know, I know how important it is to be around God's Word and hear God's Word, and, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know that I could go Sunday to Sunday without coming together on Wednesday night in one accord, and, and taking this time to just study God's Word, hear it, and, uh, and live it. Amen? Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about two voices, one truth. Two voices, one truth. We're still in a summer to remember. We're taking a look at some previous messages that uh, we've done over uh, the course of time that we've been here, and just kind of going back over them and see what God wants to say, uh, you know, uh, at this time. It, the Word's alive. It's active. So, you know, it could say something to us last year and say something completely do, to, different to us today. And um, so this is a message that we preached during our um, Separate Timber. For those of you that remember, we took a month of September to separate from things and to uh, just get closer with God. And so I preached this message called Two Voices, One Truth. And Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So let's stop right there. Right here, we're three chapters into the Bible, and we already see something beginning that's going to run the course of life as long as we're going to be on this planet, as long as the earth exists. There are always going to be two voices in our lives. Wouldn't it just be easy if we only had God's voice? Wouldn't it just be so simple if we only had the voice that said, do not eat of the tree or you will surely die? 
And nothing ever comes contrary to that. Nothing ever comes up against that and says, hey, do the opposite. Hey, let's just try it out. Hey, let's, let's see what happens if you do do it. He's trying to withhold. Wouldn't it just be simple if we just had God's word, God's command in our life, and just had to act on that? But we see something pop up here, and that there are now two voices. Now, notice this. God has no concern for the second voice. He doesn't care. If he cared, he would have warned Adam and Eve about the snake. He would have said, hey, there's going to be another voice contrary to what I'm... He doesn't even bother to warn them. He doesn't even bother to give them a heads up and say, hey, there's a snake coming to you. No biggie. No big deal. Because God knows this. If you just listen to my voice, you'll be fine. If you'll just listen to my voice, you'll never disobey me. You'll never be outside of my will. You'll never be outside of my provision. You'll never be outside of... uh, Because... With God's commands come blessing. See, a lot of people have, uh, you know, have had a religious background where church and Christianity and, and, and living for God is just a bunch of rules and regulations. But God is wanting us to get past that and understand that I'm actually giving you more yeses than no's. I'm actually giving you more opportunities to be blessed than to be cursed. And so with the command comes a blessing. If you don't eat of that tree, then everything is taken care of for you. I will make sure that you prosper. I will make sure that you're taken care of. I will take care of your food. I will take care of your house. I will take care of your children. I'll take care of your lives. I'll take care of everything. You won't have to be worried about anything if you just obey me and do what I've asked you to do. But see, we, we automatically jump over to the, well, if I disobey, then this happens. Well, if you obey, this happens. It's all perspective. And so we see here two voices pop up. One is God's voice. One is God's voice given a command that brings a blessing. But the second voice shows up and comes to directly contradict what God has already said. And so this is where we are all at. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter uh, how you make a living. It doesn't matter if you're married or single, if you have kids or not. It doesn't matter if you're poor or you're rich. Everybody has two voices. But the problem is, is there's only one truth. So we've got to learn how to discern between these two voices. Let's continue to go here. Uh, keep, keep going here in verse 4. And um, we're going to highlight some things. Look at some stuff that happens here. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. What does this verse tell us? This tells us that Eve entertained the second voice. Eve gave occasion to the second voice, allowed the voice. uh, uh, Watch this. Why hold communication with something contrary to what God is saying? Why even carry on that conversation? Why even enter into a discussion and 
try to debate with the snake and find out, okay, well, you say I won't surely die. Why, why do you say that? What, God said that I would, so what's your basis? Why even have to have that conversation? But what does she do? She entertains the second voice. I saw this a, a, a few weeks ago. Eve communicated with the devil and ended up doing his will. Jesus communicated with his father and ended up doing his will. The communication that you entertain in your life, you'll end up following after. And so that's why this two voices, one truth is so huge because where there's always going to be a contrary voice. You're not just going to read the Bible and then that's all that you're going to have in your life. You're going to read your Bible and then something's going to come and tell you that this isn't true. You're going to read in your Bible that by his stripes you are healed and then something's going to show up in your life and says, you're sick. You've got this going on. You're not healed from this. There's always, God tells you that I've already supplied all your riches in glory, and then your bank account's going to start talking to you. And that voice is going to directly contradict the voice of what God is saying. But where we go wrong is we entertain the voices. We allow the communication to take place. We allow the communication to continue to enter our mind. And then what happens is, is some of us even go a little bit further and we allow the communication to enter our mind, and then we begin to communicate that which has been communicated to us. Then we start talking what we're being told. Then we start moving our mouth. Well, I don't know if I'm ever going to get over this sickness. I don't know if I'm ever going to get rid of these headaches. I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of debt. We start communicating what's being communicated to us. But you know, it works both ways. If you would just entertain the word of God, you'll begin to communicate the word of God. You'll find yourself in pain or in times of trouble where everything's come against you and you'll find yourself saying something that agrees with the word and is contrary to your current situation. Because you will only learn to entertain truth. Not just every voice that comes along. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. A point that we had brought out here was that when you entertain other voices, it brings a direct separation from God. Because when you entertain another voice, it causes you to disobey his voice, and there's an instantaneous separation that takes place. There's an inst instantaneous, you know, I mean, you, you've probably heard it explained before, you know, God said you will surely die, and they didn't die when they bit the fruit, but we know that that death is referring to a separation from God. We're going to go kind of a little bit different direction today. Verse 9, the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid 
because I was naked. The voice that they had become so familiar to, so familiar with, that they could walk with God in the cool of the day. He would just come down and just spend time with Adam and Eve. And this voice that they had learned to operate on an instant, now they're afraid of it. Entertaining other voices will cause you to not be able to hear God's voice so clearly anymore. Two voices, one truth. Now we can't properly discern God's voice. Now we're afraid. Rather than knowing with that voice comes blessing, now we assimilate cursing with it. Now we're afraid, and now we want to go the opposite direction, and we don't want to go to church as much, and we don't want to have someone talk to us about our current situation, and we don't want to hear that voice because we assimilate it with, it's going to tell me everything that I'm doing wrong, rather than that voice used to bring me blessing. That voice used to have a command that when I obeyed the command, I used to walk in blessing, but now when I disobey that voice, now there's cursing assigned to it. And this is what happens when we entertain voices that are contrary to God's voice, voices that go against what God is saying. And now when we hear God's voice, it's like it's hard to agree. It's hard to believe it. No, you are the righteousness. I, I don't know, man. I just, you know, I just I don't feel like I'm the righteousness of God anymore. You know, I just don't feel like, you know, he, he loves me. He, I don't, you know, I know that he forgave me, but I just keep messing. No, you are the righteous. You've been entertaining a different voice. And so now when you hear someone tell you you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, now it doesn't have the same ring and the same feel to it. And now you find yourself hiding from God's voice rather than running towards God's voice. We've got to be careful what voices we entertain. Verse 11, and he said, who told you? (laughs) Who told you that you were naked? And then he asked the question, have you eaten from the tree which I commit? Notice all he's talking about is communication. Who told Adam and Eve they were naked? Nobody did. Nobody said, you're naked. No, that was a realization that came because they entertained another voice. But God asks, Who told you? Who told you you weren't healed? Who told you you didn't have financial proof? Who told you that when that just simply became a realization in your life because you entertained a different voice? He's talking about communication. And then he says, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded? What is he saying? So you have entertained a voice that was contrary to my voice, and now it's brought you into a realization of something that I never wanted you to be aware of. All because of voices. These voices are so important. These voices are huge. Then the man said, the woman... Whom you gave to be. This is hilarious. You know, we always think, you know, he's blaming Eve. Do you realize he's blaming God? He just blamed two people. He blamed God and Eve. Uh, that's, That's just hilarious to me. 
Well, how many of us have ever done that? We get in the situation because we entertain a different voice and we blame God. We blame someone else. I mean, he didn't just blame Eve here. He's actually blaming God. The woman whom you, you did this. You put me in this situation, God. You put this person in my life. I was all right all by myself, and you brought this person to be my soulmate, my helper, and my helpmate. And she's supposed to come alongside me and encourage me, and she's, she's the one that got me in this. And it's, if, you didn't give them, if you didn't give her to me, it's basically what he's saying. If you didn't give her to me, I'd be all right. I mean, it's amazing how messed up your mind will get when you entertain the wrong voice. Second, Second Corinthians chapter 10. We know what happens from there. They end up getting kicked out of the garden. God goes all the way down to the snake and works his way back up and immediately puts a plan of redemption in place to get man back in his kingdom, not to get man to heaven. God never had a plan to get man to heaven from the beginning, and he didn't start one. There, he, got, he had a plan put together to get man back in his kingdom, to operate in royalty. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I mean, this verse is just chock full of lock it up, shut it down, shut it up, bring it down, cast it down, anything that brings itself against God's word. See, sometimes we think those voices are against us. That voice of sickness is against us. That voice of uh, debt is against us. And we take it personally. But this verse says, you don't war against flesh and blood. Which means the thing that isn't flesh isn't warring against your flesh. But sometimes we think the thing that isn't flesh is warring against our flesh. This isn't the case. It says it brings itself contrary to the word of God, the knowledge of God. Every argument. What's an argument? It's where you have two sides that are contrary. You don't argue about stuff you agree. No, I want to I paint it blue. No, I want to paint it blue. No, I, I want to paint that wall blue. Well, me too. I don't understand why we just can't agree on this. Why are we, arguing? Why are we fighting about this? No, you argue about something that you have two opposite sides that are contrary, conflicting against each other. <laughs> if it's an argument, it's something that has come up against what God's word says. And he says to cast it down, pull it down, take it into captivity. Captivity means that it does not have free reign. 
If you're taken captive, you don't have free reign. You can't do whatever you want to do. You can't go wherever you want to go. You can't say whatever you want. You're captive. You are bound up. But yet we just let our thoughts just run around and we act like they don't affect us, and they do. Because it's a voice. It's not flesh and blood. It's weapons. Weapons that have come to destroy you. Weapons that have come to stop you. And those weapons, they're not fighting you. The weapons, they're not come to attack you personally. The weapon of sickness and the voice of sickness isn't coming to attack you and put sickness on you. It's coming to attack the word of God. It's fighting against the word of God. And so you have to be the one that decides, no, I'm not going to let that contrary argument, that side that conflicts with what God's word says, I'm not going to let it have free reign, so I'm going to take it captive. I'm going to bind it up. It doesn't have free reign. It can't just run around in my mind. It just can't run around in my thoughts. It's just not going to be something that I can't seem to have any control over. There's so many people that feel like they just don't have any control over what they think about. But that's not what this verse tells us. This verse tells us that we can take thoughts into captivity. We can bind them up so they don't have free reign and free course. And we can shut that down. We've got to learn to shut those voices up. So there's two voices. There's two sides. Two voices, but there's only one truth. And so we've got to learn to shut those voices down. So look at Numbers 13. Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to tell you right now, God's word was never meant to come under subjection to any other voice. God's voice was never meant to take second place to any other voice. God's word was never meant to adjust to another voice. There is no other voice that's going to see it better than what God has already said. There's no other voice that is going to declare it better than what God has already said. And if God has already said it, then it has to be because it's his word and his word cannot fail. That's why he said that I have sent my word and it will not return back to me void. He didn't say I sent someone. He said I sent my Word. Well, he sent Jesus. Who does John chapter 1 say Jesus is? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Skip on down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Jesus was the Word before he was the man, Jesus. We, we take Jesus and we put him on this little sliver of 33 years on the face of the planet and we forget about all eternity of being the word of God. And so God sent his word to perform something and he said, and it will not return void. 
it's going to do, it will accomplish that which I send it out to do. That's how much trust and power we should have in God's word. That's how much uh, uh, reliability, assurance, confidence that we have in God's word that it's going to perform. But look what happens here in Numbers chapter 13. Let me give you a backstory because I'm not going to read the whole chapter. The Israelites are on a journey going from Egypt to the promised land. The promised land. E.D. Past tense. Now, that land was promised not to Moses. Not to Joshua. Not to Moses' dad. Not to Moses' grandfather. That land was promised almost a thousand years before Moses even shows up on the planet. That's how strong God... Could you promise something today and it still be good a thousand years from now? God can. He promised a territory. He promised a nation. He promised a land. And his promises are so good that he can hold that promise with every generation that goes on until the time comes for the promise to take place. He promised that land way back in Genesis chapter 12 to a man named Abraham. That's how far back he went. He promises this land. And so now we have Moses leading God's people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Notice that his promise, his word, it has, uh, it, 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 it has broken through slavery. 430 years of slavery. It's broken through the promised land being inhabited by someone else. That's how strong his promise is. His promise didn't break when someone else moved in. His promise didn't break when the Israelites, who were the strongest, freest people, God's people, God's nation, became captive to another nation. It didn't break. Still strong, still true. Still trustworthy. You can still have confidence in it. You can still be assured of it. My word will perform. And so now we have Moses leading the men out of Israel, and they are on the verge of going into the promised land. And Moses says, God tells Moses, I want you to send in 12 spies. Now, God's promise the promised land was never to be based upon what the spies found. He sent them in there to spy out what was already theirs so they could get more excited about what they were getting ready to enter into. But, starting with verse 26, we see that this did not take place. Verse 26, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him, 
and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And that's what God told them. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. So, so far, we're good. So far, God has held up his end of the bargain. It looks just like he explained it. Nevertheless, mm, that word, nevertheless, you have to get rid of nevertheless in your life. God is not a nevertheless God. He is a always the more God. But they come up with a nevertheless. There is never a nevertheless to God's promises. Never. They show up. They say, it looks just like he explained it. It's got milk and honey. Here's the fruit that we brought. But nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak was a giant. So his descendants are giants. They saw giants in the land. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So they have gone in to where God has promised them already belongs to them. That's like me promising you something. Say I promise you a car. I give you a car. Well, anything inside there is yours. When I give it to you, when I go to present it to you, if it's got something in there, I'm not holding back the radio. That comes with it. God was telling them, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. It doesn't matter what's inside. It doesn't matter who's living there. But they pull up a nevertheless. Nevertheless. God promised us this land, and it looks just like he promised us, so this has to be it. There's no doubt in their mind that this is the land. It's flowing with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But nevertheless, there's somebody else in control of it. The people are strong. There's giants. It's got the Hittites. It's got the Jebusites. It's got the Canaanites. See, sometimes we know that God has blessed us with something, but then we get all moved and shocked when somebody else has our stuff. But God never allowed that to be a deciding factor. God, when they got in there and saw those people, God, go, God didn't scratch his head and goes, well, how'd they get in there? Well, what happened? I had this thing set aside. I mean, I told Abraham thousands of years ago, this is the land. We got a mess. I guess we'll have to find you another land. He doesn't go back on his word. If that's the promised land, 
That's the promised land, regardless of what's inside of it, regardless of who's in possession of it. It's the promised land. But we're the ones that bring up, nevertheless. Nevertheless, this is in there. Nevertheless, this is in possession. Nevertheless, this is what it currently looks like. And so they were moved by another voice. But watch this. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Ready? Two voices. One truth. Two voices. Two voices that are contrary to each other. Two voices that contradict each other. Two voices that conflict each other. Two voices that do not cross paths. Two voices that do not agree. Two voices where one is arguing against the other. Two voices that are on separate sides. You want to find yourself getting around the voices that that agree with the voice. Why did Caleb say that? Why did Caleb say, we can go up at once and overcome it? We are well able. Was he talking about their natural ability to take it? Was he talking about, we've got enough people? No, he is talking in agreement with what God has already said. There's two voices here. Only one of them is truth. And the only time your voice equals truth is when it equals the voice that has already spoken truth. If you don't find your voice agreeing with his voice, then you're against God's word. You're contrary to God's word. If you're saying something that is opposite of what God has already said about your situation, then you have aligned yourself with the wrong voice. You have entertained a voice that is contrary to God's voice. Let's keep going. Verse 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now watch verse 14, or 14 verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices (laughs) and cried, and the people wept that night. The congregation, the majority of the people, 
aligned themselves with the voice that was contrary to truth, and now their voices are in alignment with the bad voice. So we don't realize that, but we're taking sides every day. There's two voices. There's one truth. And you're either picking the good report or you're picking the bad report. Hebrews 11.2 says, By faith the elders obtained a good report. Not because of what they saw. They didn't have a good report because of what they saw. They didn't have a good report because of how awesome the land looked. They didn't have a good report because there was nobody in it. They didn't have a good report because there was a banner over the promised land that said, Welcome home, Israelites. They had a good report by faith in God's word spoken thousands of years ago. They realized we've got two voices. There's a voice saying, this land is yours, take it. You can have it. It already belongs to you. It already has your name on it. And then there's another voice that says, there's no way we can go in it. There's no way we can enter in. Even after identifying, that's it, that's the land. See, it would have been different if they said, that must not be the land. There must be a different land. But they didn't even say that. They said, that's it, and we can't have it. Directly contradicting what God had already spoken. And so then we see in, in 14 verse 1 that all the congregation, all the people aligned themselves with the wrong voice. And their voices began to follow in alignment. Go to John chapter 10. You know, Joshua and Caleb, they ended up going into that land. You don't ever really think about it, but they had to wait. They had to wait to enter the promised land because of other people around them. And they believed they could go in it that day. And they say that this account took place very early on. So there's still a whole other 40 years that takes place after we read that. Sometimes we think, oh, wow, they wandered around for, you know, 38 years and then got there and said, oh, we can't take it. But this was like within the first few weeks from leaving Egypt. And now they spend 40 years wandering around after they've already looked at the land. But you realize Joshua and Caleb, they had to wait too. Even though they had even though they were speaking the right thing. Even though they were saying the right thing. They got delayed. But God honored their word. God honored their faith in his word. And God honored the fact that they gave a good report instead of a bad report and stayed true to that. And they ended up going in. John chapter 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as the thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him... 
the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. It's interesting how even children at a very young age, they learn their parents' voice. Before they even identify, that's my mommy or daddy, they recognize the voice. It is much easier to follow God if you become familiar with his voice. And staying close to God's word will keep you close to God. If you choose to stay close to God's word, you will find yourself close to God. We've got to learn to become familiar with God's voice because if not, the other side of this, ver- this verse is if you don't know your shepherd's voice, then you might follow a stranger's voice. It becomes harder to identify the stranger's voice because you haven't become familiar with God's voice. When another voice comes up that is contrary to God's word, Contrary to what God has already said, if you don't know what God has already said or you don't give the proper attention to what God has already said, you might follow the other voice thinking you're following the right thing, but you're not. The sheep follow the shepherd, not because he says, hey, I'm the shepherd, come follow me. Not because he's wearing a t-shirt that says shepherd on it the great shepherd, they follow him because they know his voice. And they don't follow the stranger, not because he looks like a stranger, not because he looks creepy and looks like someone that wants to take them somewhere they're not supposed to go. They will not follow the stranger's voice because they don't know his voice, because they've become so familiar with God's voice that they know when something does not sound like God's voice. If you skip on down to verse 27, he says again, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Some of us simply have a hard time following God because we just haven't become familiar with his voice. We've got to develop familiarity with his voice. We've got to develop a a sense of knowing instantly that that's God's voice and knowing instantly that's not his voice. That's not him calling me. That's not him. I'm not going to follow that voice. But the only way, how do you become familiar with God's voice? When it came time for Joshua to enter into that promised land, Joshua chapter 1, God speaks to him and says, 
my servant Moses is dead. <laughs> He's gone. Forget him. It's me and you now. You're the man that's going to take these people in. Verse 8, meditate on my word day and night. What's he saying? Get close to me. Become familiar with my voice. Learn what I tell you to do and what I tell you don't to. Learn where I tell you to go and where I tell you don't go. He says, don't fall to the right or to the left. Get close to my word and you'll get close to me. And you'll follow me because you know my voice. Get in his word. I want to hear God's voice. Here. Here you go. We want God to come down in a booming, you know, voice. And, and we want angels with trumpets to, to bring, usher him in. I want a cloud of smoke in my bedroom. And I want an earthquake. And, you know, I want him to, you know, jolt me up, wake me up. And, and then, you know, say something to me. He's got his word right there. And if we will become familiar with that, we'll find that we'll know his voice. We'll know that still, small, quiet voice. There's two voices. There's one truth. And sometimes it can seem like a task trying to identify, okay, which is truth and which is not. But if you find yourself in that position, find yourself going back to this. Don't try to find other people to try to help get you clarity on God's voice. You want to go back to the source. Well, I'm going to read a book about it. No, go back to the book that's got all the books in it that you'll ever need. You know, if you get a command from a boss or an employee or, you know, an employer or, or, or you know, somebody and someone brings it down to you and tells you this is what you're supposed to do and you're unsure, do they really, is that really what they wanted me to do? You don't get clarity from the person that brought it to you. You get clarity from the source. I'm going to go ask the manager. I'm going to go ask so-and-so. I'm going to go ask this person. Why? Because they're going to know exactly what was said and what was not said. We've got to learn to go back to the source. We've got to learn to go back to the voice. The voice that always echoes, echo, echoes truth. He said, my word is truth. That means his word is not a lie. It's very simple. If his word is truth, then it has to come true. It has to be that way. There's no other way. If he says, by my stripes, you are healed. There's no other way. There's no other, there, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or what? No, you are healed. So now let's walk in that. If he says that he has supplied all your riches in glory in Christ Jesus, then you have all provision. That's the truth. Anything contrary to that is the lie. You know, 
You have to have truth to tell a lie. You can't tell a lie if there wasn't first, first something spoken in truth. Satan couldn't show up until God gave a command. What's he going to say? If you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. You'll surely not die. Okay, no one said anything about the tree. But no, God already gave a word, which is truth. If you'll eat of the tree, you will die. So what's Satan do? He comes into the picture, and he's been doing the same thing since day one. He hasn't changed his tactic. He's taken God's word and twisted it, perverted it. When he showed up in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus, what did he do? He took God's word and twisted it, changed it. But Jesus knew. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what will keep you alive. That's what will keep you following in God's promises. Is you valuing God's word as much as he values his word. And so when we get into these situations where we have these voices that come contrary, and you want to know which one's truth and which one's not, well, the truth has already been spoken. The truth is already out there. So go figure out which voice agrees with this. That's the only thing that matters. I don't care who they are. I don't care what your relationship was with them. I don't care how big their church is. I don't care how, how long you've known them. I don't care how close you are with them. I don't care what their situation was. There's nobody's situation that will override what the Bible says. So let's get back to the truth. Let's get back to God's word because that's the only voice we need to follow. And so now you know. Don't be surprised. Well, man, I was believing God for that job and you know, I just had this thought come up. You know what? You, you can't get that kind of job. Don't be surprised when God says one thing and another voice shows up and says, uh-uh, no, you can't. You can't have what God tells you. You can't walk in that. You can't have uh, healing. You can't have prosperity. You can't have favor. You can't have peace. It's going to show up every time. And God's not concerned about it, and neither should you. We just have to learn to discern God's voice, bad voice, and then follow after God's voice and shut down, take captive. See, Joshua and Caleb, they knew, I don't care what the voice of the people says, his word is still true. And they're outnumbered. If you look in Joshua's life, he made a living out of being the only one believing God. His entire life was marked by, I'm standing here all by myself. Nobody will agree with me. Nobody will believe with me. He, I mean, he can't even get a prayer group. Well, let's, let's pray about going in the... It's him and Caleb. I mean... Thank God it says two or more, not ten or more. Because they would have been severely outnumbered. Thank God. But Joshua made a living on just standing on God's word. Joshua was so bound to God's word that he would bury his face in the ground and say, God, 
If we fail, it's on you. That is how they say, if we lose this battle, they're going to say, your God is weak. Your God can't bring you through. You need to put God on the line. Say, God, if I don't come through, it's going to reflect on you because I'm standing in faith. I'm believing you at your word. Your promises are true. Your promises can't fail. And so I'm going out and I'm putting myself out here. But when it all is said and done, they're going to stop and say, where's your God now? That's what happens. When you stand in faith like that, when you believe God's word like that, above everybody else's word, you put him on the line. And guess what? He rises to the occasion every time. He loves being, he loves it. He loves it. Because then he gets the glory. Then he gets the credit. Then he gets the honor because it's his word that's out there, not yours. Well, you said it was going to be this way. No, God said it was going to be this way. And so I'm going to keep standing and doing what he's asked me to do, even though on the outside it's not like anything's changing. And in the end, he's the one that's going to get the glory. Man, well, how'd you do that? I didn't. I told you. I was believing God at his word. This is what he promised me. And I chose to listen to his voice and not the other voices. And now I'm here and God gets the credit. God gets the glory. That's the way you need to be. You need to have that audacity about you that says, God, if this doesn't come through, this is going to reflect on you and your word. It's going to reflect on the God that I serve. And you can be that audacious because you know on the inside, I'm staying true to the word, the only word that matters. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you tonight for your word. We thank you tonight for your voice. We thank you tonight for your truth. Father, the word of truth, the word of faith. Father, there is no other word that we'll stand on. In a kingdom, the king's word has full reign. The king's word is the most powerful thing in a kingdom. If the king declares it, if the king decrees it, it has to be that way. So, Father, we stand on your word that cannot fail, that cannot fail us, that cannot uh, 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 accomplish what you send it to do. It will perform. And so, Father, we place our faith in your word. And that means that we shut out the other voices. You have spoken something. But, Father, we know that there will be things that will come up in our life that are contrary to what you have already spoken. But, Father, we don't give them attention. We don't give them time. We don't allow them to reign in our thoughts. We don't allow them to reign in our minds. We don't allow them to uh, take over in our mouths. But we speak, we believe, we think on what your word says. And, Father, we thank you that your word, your voice, ultimately will stand all by itself. And so we stand on your word. When things rise up contrary to it, we shut them down. We take them captive. We take the thoughts captive. We don't take the words captive. We take the thoughts. We don't wait for them to become words. As soon as the thought comes, we shut it down. We don't think that way. We only think on what your word says. Father, we thank you tonight for your word.
We thank you that your word is powerful, that it will perform in our lives as we trust and believe in you. We thank you that we'll see results in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.